designers and curious minds. Ever wondered about the stories hiding within your building's walls? I'm Carrie Seaburn, structural engineer and host of Unstruct, the podcast that decodes and simplifies major concepts of structural design. Behind the math and physics, structural engineering simply predicts building behavior. Join me as we simplify the complex, making structural design accessible to everyone. Nowadays, instead of measuring it via cost, we're saying, well, what about carbon, you know? We've got two levers now that we can, if if an architect has an inefficient design, we can hit them with two levers if you like. (laughs) The official casualty figure is 55,000. Everybody I talked to told me that the actual figure is at least three times as much. And I believe that. I mean, seeing what I saw, Turkish codes are good and, and they have been improving, but compliance was completely lacking. Fluent in steel, concrete, masonry, and timber design, I'll bring you leading engineers to dissect the tails behind their building structure. Whether you're an architect, contractor, engineer, or just love a good story, this podcast is for you. Yeah, beam penetrations. That's a fun topic on this project. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Unstruct. From within your walls, hear the story behind how your building stands today. It was also a place where my parents, who were both artistic and activists, entertained and mentored emerging artists, writers, poets. And my parents were models of this is how art and activism intersect. And this is a way that one can be in the world, being both an artist and an activist in the way it shows up for you. Welcome to Tangible Remnants. I'm Nikita Reed, and this is my show where I explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. I'm excited that you're here. So let's get into it. Welcome back. It has been a whirlwind of a conference season, and I am excited to be wrapping up the end of it. Um, I had a fantastic time at NOMA and GreenBuild and also at the ICSC CenterBuild conference. And it was amazing to be able to travel to Nashville, San Francisco, and Phoenix for the first time. It's definitely been an eventful couple weeks, and I'm excited to be able to process all the information that I've learned and keep connecting with the fantastic people that I've met along the way. One of the things I'm looking forward to providing more in 2023 is information and resources to scholarships for students, as well as to funding opportunities for projects that are at the intersection of architecture, sustainability, and preservation. So be sure to check out the website for those coming soon. This episode is going to be another episode in my project series. And this episode is going to focus on the Clifton House Project. And this house was home to Maryland Poet Laureate Lucille Clifton. And this project was one of the African-American Cultural Heritage Action Fund grant awardees through the National Trust for Historic Preservation. Quinn Evans was hired to do an assessment of the building and to provide some additional historic research. This was a fun project that me and a few colleagues got to work on. So to talk about the project... This episode features a conversation between me and Sydney Clifton. Sydney is Lucille and Fred Clifton's daughter. She's also the Senior Vice President of Animation and Mixed Media at the Jim Henson Company, 
where she oversees a slate of 20 projects in production and development. She's also a senior consultant with Black Women Animate and provides business development and creative growth strategies to support the company's expansion in the animation industry. And she's the first Emmy-nominated person that I've had on the podcast. Sydney shares some of her mother's work, what inspired her to take on this project, and her vision for the project. As you'll hear, Sydney is a beautiful storyteller and is doing amazing work to support emerging creatives. The Clifton House Project, this historic building, is just one of the tangible remnants that reminds us of Lucille Clifton's existence, and I'm thrilled to have been able to contribute to this project. I've posted some photos on Instagram, so be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at Tangible Remnants if you're not already. And I also included some links in the show notes to Sydney's full bio and the Clifton House site. The links in the show notes will take you to an awesome virtual tour of the Clifton House that I highly recommend you check out. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation between me and Sydney Clifton. Sydney, thank you for coming on the show. I'm very excited that you're here. Thank you. Why don't we just start with who your mom was and then what was your favorite piece of her work? And then we'll keep going into the layers. Certainly. So my mother was Lucille Clifton, who was a poet laureate of Maryland for several years from 70s through the 80s. Uh, she was also a National Book Award winner and a Ruth Lilly Prize winner. Posthumously, she won the Robert Frost Medal for Lifetime Achievement in Poetry and was a poet, a children's book author, activist, teacher, mentor for all of the years of which I've known her since the beginning of my life and was a, a very deep and important influence on her community, on her students, and the poetry world in general. And my favorite works, well, here's what I'll say. My, there are many of her works that are favorites of mine. I say this because I'm also, as an aside, I'm a mother of four, and I don't have a favorite child, but there, there are multiple things I love about all of them. And I think with my mother's work, it feels the same to me. There are some poems or some excerpts from her memoir that really resonate for me in different days. A lot of it very mood contingent, but also it really resonate depending on what's happening in my life. One of my favorite pieces of hers is actually part of her memoir, Generations, that was recently re-released with a new foreword written by Tracy K. Smith. And this, this piece talks about even though families and generations go through some things, as all of our families have gone, they continue. And if I may read a piece of that. Of it's, it's the end of the piece. It's talking about in the voice of my grandfather, Samuel, and my, my mother as well. And I could tell you some things we've been through, some awful ones, some wonderful, but I know that the things that make us are more than that. Our lives are more than the days in them. Our lives are our line and we go on. I type that and I swear I can see Caroline standing in the green of Virginia, in the green of Africa, and I swear she makes no sound but she nods her head and smiles. The generations of Caroline Donald, born in Africa in 1823, and Sam Lewis Sale, born in America in 1777, are Lucille, who had a son named Jeannie, who had a son named Samuel, who married Thelma Moore, and the blood became magic, and their daughter is Thelma Lucille, who married Fred Clifton, and the blood became whole, and their children are Sydney. Frederica, Gillian, Alexia, four daughters, and Channing, Graham, two sons, and the line goes on. Don't you worry, mister. Don't you worry. Oh, I, I get, love that. 
I get chills every time I read that because it's it, it's just so powerful and hopeful and it's it's full of all the things, all of the history and all the tears and all the laughter and all of that hope and all the keeping on. And it, ending with don't you worry is just, you know, we just keep on. Right. Yeah. Keep on going. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. We're going to make sure to put links to the show notes to various links to the Clifton House as well as to that particular book and excerpt since it was recently re-released. Thank oh you. my goodness. And so I'm realizing we should probably even take a step back and talk about how we got to know each other. And so I was very grateful to the National Trust for Historic Preservation's African American Cultural Heritage Action Fund, still a very long name, but, but for, <laughs> for connecting us. Since I know that at the Clifton House in Baltimore, you needed to have a historic structures report on it to really fulfill the needs of the grant. And so that's where I started learning more about your work at the building and also more of your mother's legacy and all that. And so I was just fascinated to learn more. And so I guess, why don't you talk a little bit about the Clifton House project and what that's about? Certainly. Well, the Clifton House, it, the structure itself is the house in which my siblings and I grew up in Baltimore. It was, although I was born in Buffalo, New York, we were raised primarily in Baltimore. And my mother's first book was published while we lived in that house. It's a three-story house that is historic. It's over, I believe, 113 years old in a, a neighborhood called Windsor Hills in Northwest Baltimore. The neighborhood itself was intentionally ethnically diverse, culturally diverse and integrated. And it was a a marvelous place in which to grow up. It was also a place where my parents, who were both artistic and activists, entertained and mentored emerging artists, writers, poets. My mother was a poet and children's book author, as I mentioned, and my father was a an activist, but also a painter and a sculptor. And my parents were models of this is how art and activism intersect. And this is a way that one can be in the world, being both an artist and an activist in the way it shows up for you. So our house was always filled with people that would sort of almost like sit and hear lessons and other people would come and read poems. And my mother was teaching at the time. And so my father was also part of the group that established the African-American studies department at Harvard University. So there are oh, wow. multiple people coming through. And we as kids always saw, I'll speak for myself as the oldest of the, of the six children, I saw this as a way to be reactive and engaged in the community while also maintaining the integrity of one's art, because I also was someone who, who wrote and drew and such and had creative bents. So that was the sort of sanctuary this house was for us. My parents lost the house to foreclosure in 1980, and my mother was quoted at some point as saying that her family, although life went on, her family never recovered from the loss of that house. And another family owned it from that time, from 1980 to 2019, in 2019, I reached out to the owner of the house to ask about the, the status of it. And I happened to reach out to her on the ninth anniversary of my mother's passing, February 13th, 2019. And the owner at that time told me that the house had gone on the market that day. I didn't realize yes. that connection. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yes. So I try to pay attention to signs and I said I'd like to be considered a potential buyer. So long story short, there were many hoops through which to jump and what seemed to be impossible at the time became possible and I bought the house back. So the miracle of that in itself, I'm still digesting some of that. And it was essentially sort of a reclamation of this history and this legacy. And 
you know, me being able to have the place that I grew up that was so important and impactful in my life. But I also started thinking about what the house was for the community and the, for the creative community, both in Baltimore and, and nearby. And I woke up with an idea. I remember calling my sisters saying, okay, this is going to sound crazy, but I think I can make it happen. <laughs> and I decided to establish the Clifton House, which is essentially an artist's retreat and residency space where we'll hold low to no cost workshops to train emerging poets, writers, artists in their craft, but also be a resource for networking, be a resource for information, for mentorship, and also not only the craft of, 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 of all these things, but teaching people how to have that life, what that life can look like, what, what is necessary to have this life successfully. Because not only, I think, in my career as a producer, I've also been a, a mentor and I've, I've spoken at art schools around North America. And what young people want to know is not only like, okay, great, I'm very good at my craft. How do I do this? How do I budget my time? How do I take care of my mental health? How do I network with other people when I don't have resources? You know, those kinds of things. So we want to make sure that we are providing holistic resources, information, networking to emerging creatives in, in all metiers. And when I say emerging, I also want to be clear that I don't mean necessarily they're only young people because, you know, there are emerging artists are coming all ages and Absolutely. races and sizes. Yeah. Absolutely. Imagine earning continuing education credits while doing exactly what you're doing right now. Well, you can. Gable Media has revolutionized the way you earn your continuing education credits with a groundbreaking approach. Forget running around town and scouring the internet for credit-worthy courses. Fulfill your CE requirements effortlessly by listening to engaging podcasts just like the one you're listening to now. Our podcasts are designed to educate, entertain, and inspire all in a user-friendly environment. But wait, there's more. Architects, Gable Media is also approved as an AIA continuing education services provider. Upon completion, we handle everything, from reporting your hours directly to the AIA, to storing your certificates in your personal Gable Media profile for your self-reporting needs. So follow the link in the show notes and start earning your credits in the most innovative and entertaining way possible with Gable Media. Want to learn more about the unknown ladies of architecture? Then I recommend you listen to She Builds Podcast, where we tell the stories of remarkable women who have shaped the design and construction industries. Hi, I'm Jessica. I'm Nurjiti. And I'm Lizzie. After we graduated from Syracuse University School of Architecture, we set out to learn and share the untold stories of women that traditional school curriculum left out. One day, there's an announcement on campus that women had been seen wearing, quote, inappropriate clothing. Gasp. What the heck does that mean? Yeah, so it turns out that Ruth and her fellow classmates were these women. They had field classes where they're doing welding, forging, and foundry work. And obviously they have to wear jeans to those classes instead of like dresses or whatever else. While Gertie was in school, she wasn't just going to classes, trying to stay alive like some of us. I know that was me in school, just taking it day by day, but not Gertie. She became the president of Evigol, an honorary association of Cornell women architects. Of course she did. These are stories not taught in schools. 
women who've molded the world of architecture, construction, and development for over a century. From Jane Jacobs to Ray Eames, She Builds Podcast explores the legacies of trailblazers. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform. Let's fill the gaps in history together. All you have to do is follow the link in the show notes and subscribe and be part of a movement to expand industry narratives. And so then the the house itself had such a special place in your life. And I'm so grateful that you are extending the legacy of that and shifting it. Because the house, it's, it is such a beautiful home. And I'll make sure to put photos and all that sort of stuff in the show notes, but then also on Instagram. But I love the idea of kind of this being the hearth where people are coming and gathering around and kind of filling up and being able to connect with other like-minded yes. individuals. That's yes. One of the things that really drew me to it and the more that I learned about who your mother was, what the project was going to be, and how preservation could actually help with this in terms yes. of creating a document to help move forward, I was just enthralled. And then <laughs> the more that I learned about you and I was like, oh my goodness. So like the fact that you were able to have that inkling to reach out to the owner on the anniversary of your mother's passing. And were you still in California when you did that? Oh, yes. Yes. So this I, all happened like across the country. So even having yes. that essence and oh, oh my gosh, chills. <laughs> it's like, that's amazing in itself. But then I feel like that's a great segue to talk about you and your life in California and oh. all of that, because I feel like the amazingness that who your mother was helped make you who you are. And so all of the work that you're doing also is fantastic that I would love to touch on that a little bit. Tell us about life in California. Oh, thank you. Okay. Well, I'm currently, I work as the senior vice president of animation and mixed media at the Jim Penson company. I've been primarily an animation producer for about 23 years and have produced multiple kinds of animated series, long form. I most recently produced Harriet the Spy, the animated series for Apple TV Plus. Other other works that I've been proud of, I'm proud of all of, all of the work that I do, frankly. And at the Jim Henson Company, we have multiple projects that are sort of on our slate, most of which I, I can't discuss because they haven't been announced. But or re more recently, I also was an executive overseeing the production of a, a series called Slumberkins that has been announced on another Apple TV Plus series that's going to be launching on November 4th. It's a preschool series with puppets, puppetry and animation, and it's adorable. Amazing. So that's really fun. But in the past, I've been other projects that I, I think are of note that I'm proud of is the animated BET version of the Black Panther animated series produced that was an executive I worked with Harry Connick Jr. on an animated Christmas special like <laughs> called the Happy L. It was fun and hilarious. Three seasons of an animated sci-fi series called Tripping the Rift that was prime time. It was not for, for kids. I worked with Stan, Stan Lee on two long-form animated series for Cartoon Network. And although this is not a series that has been on air, I produced a 13 episode series with Maya Angelou in her home, live action series in her home in North Carolina. Yeah. So like you so have just... such a vision and like your experience to bring the Clifton House Project to life makes even more sense knowing all of that background. Yes. I mean, honestly, storytelling has been in my blood forever. And so, which is why I love working with, with writers and artists and such. So this really feels like just another extension of 
who I am and the way I want to walk in the world and also the contribution, the way I want to be of service to the community. So I'm just really excited and full of gratitude that I'm able to see this through and, and, and full of gratitude for the organizations and the people and the individuals who have supported us. Yes. It's, oh my goodness. But it's kind of like knowing that storytelling is part of what you do and like the types of stories that you're trying to tell and elevate. Yes. I'm mm -hmm. so grateful for all of the work that you're doing and knowing that the Clifton House is going to continue helping more people tell more stories. That's, yes. It's so beautiful and coming full circle. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> I, I feel, I feel truly I, deepest gratitude for this opportunity, truly. Mm -hmm. And so then what is it like in terms of, I know you're in California, but I know there's also the Clifton House Project has a board and trustees and all that. So how is the, the management of it going? Are there any other obstacles or opportunities that you're finding as you're creating the project to turn it into the artist's residence? You know, it's interesting because every obstacle feels like an opportunity. We do have a board of directors. We don't have full-time staff yet. So that that's challenging. We certainly have committees. We have, you know, program committee and executive committee amongst the board. And I'm also lucky because I have siblings who live in Maryland. So for example, as I mentioned, there was a, we had a photo shoot with an amazing group of women of color called uh, Black Women Radicals. And my sister Alexia hosted that photo and video shoot at, at the house the other day. But sometimes, you know, scheduling when there needs to be someone on site can be tricky. It has, we've worked it out in that it's about having conversations with people to see what their availability is, what their urgency is, and either I'm myself or one of my siblings will be there to to assist. But at some point, we are going to be hiring hiring a what we're calling right now sort of a program manager or program director, so that this is someone who is able to be on site relatively quickly and can oversee and and assist as needed. I did have a part time virtual assistant at some point, and uh, she was amazing and helpful with research and scheduling and such. And she's now, and I will proudly say, in a PhD program at Howard University. That's okay. right. So, and she's awesome. So I'm super excited for her, but I will be looking for a, probably a virtual assistant again in the, in the very near future. I think we're going to list that very shortly. So I think just bandwidth has been the challenge. I wouldn't even say obstacle. Bandwidth has been the challenge. And the result of that has been just having conversations, being much more organized, a relatively organized person, I think, and, uh, and, and engaging in partnership, meaningful partnerships with people who are both local and national, actually. So our, those kinds of things have allowed us to have virtual workshops that have been super successful and, and still on message and on brand and on mission, mission forward, I think. That makes a lot of sense. And I've been really, some of the different online events that have been hosted through the house, I mean, I've been impressed with the the spectrum of people. <laughs> like, There's a lot of different types of folks that are coming. That's yes, why I'm yes. super excited to see the programming happening there. Thank so then you. I guess getting back to when you acquired the house, yes. when you real when did you realize that it was the house could be eligible for historic significance or have any sort of opportunity to go after some historic grants and things like that? Well, it's interesting because I knew that Windsor Hills, the neighborhood, was on the National Registry, but I wasn't sure what those details were and really didn't know how to to research that. And the National Trust was very helpful in, in researching. I believe that you and your team were also a yes. part of that. <laughs> yes, yes, I, that came from you, I believe. 
<laughs> so that confirmation was wonderful. So prior to that happening, though, I think that based on the neighborhood being there, we were able to go after those those grants and did that relatively early. Yeah. But, and that's fantastic because yeah. I know a lot of times people forget that there could be opportunities for grants or anything like that, particularly if the building or the neighborhood has any sort of historic significance. And so yes. I'm glad that you were had enough foresight to be like wait let's ask around let's get let's see what the options are because i think yes. that's super helpful particularly when trying to get projects off the ground because a lot of times it's the it's the having the access to the funds or doing things in the right order which ends up yes being most frustrating for a lot of nonprofits. i know absolutely <laughs> and so in terms of your hopes in general for the clifton house project i know we're almost or i guess we're kind of in the, the post-covid world now Things are going to be coming, right, exactly. Things are going to be coming a little bit more in person. Do you have a sense of when, I guess, timeline for when the house will be starting to receive artists and residents or doing more in-person programming? Some of that will be contingent upon the renovations for two of the rooms that would be residency rooms. So that that's the that's a challenge that we're currently facing, but we're also moving closer to those. So I would say our goal is to have residencies available summer 2023 with beginning to take applications for them in spring 2023. We're having conversations with our with my board end of this month to talk about that that planning and what kind of what we need to implement that, frankly. The other piece I think is that I I know me and I have to sort of pace myself and remind myself that the house doesn't have to be perfect before it can be serviceable right. and before it can be valuable to to residents, right? When I'm in Baltimore, I generally stay there and do some some of the work myself, oversee some things and you know sort of contribute to the upkeep and I also recognize that if I'm an artist or a poet, being able to sleep in the room where Lucille slept Right. That room does again doesn't have to have all the things and bells and whistles. What's most important is that it's comfortable, that it has certainly like all the and we make sure that you know we have all the amenities and people are able to cook and be able to, you know, shower and have some privacy and and, and work. But the vibe is still there. It's still there. It absolutely and is. people visiting the house can 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 feel that. And it's and I've stated that. I think I think the hopes are that we can start having people overnight summer starting in summer 2023 although as i mentioned i'm flying to baltimore this week for our first in-person multiple day retreat there's a, a group called scribente maternum which is mothers who write and they will be doing a four-day retreat two of those days exclusively at the, at the clifton house so friday and saturday i'm flying there to host that and i'm so excited to be able to see and and, and serve these women these mothers, people who identify as mothers in the space where I saw my mom do the exact same thing, you know, and tell the stories about what it was like for her. So I think the combination of even if people aren't able to sort of spend the night, I think be people, this will show us that this will be our proof of concept that we have everything we need yes. for people to yeah. enjoy the space, even as it is, because they're, it's coming along really well. But there's lots and lots of space, indoor and outdoor the grounds are beautiful. The porch, the wraparound porch is amazing. We've had, there's another a group that called City Lit that had their board meeting there last month. So it's it's starting already, which is a beautiful thing. Yes. I'm so glad to hear that because I know that the house is just, it's ready and waiting. 
And I'm so excited yes. that you saying that it doesn't have to be perfect to be valuable is so true because mm. it's, it's a historic house. So it's one of those things, part of historic buildings, it is the quirkiness that exists with them. That's what people love about it anyway. So I'm, yes. I'm excited to hear you say that and that things are already happening. I hope Thank your retreat you. yes. goes so well this week. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. So good. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Is there anything else in terms of future planning or even other artists gathering or other partnerships, maybe even in Baltimore that you want to talk about? Sure. We're growing our partner list, but we're currently partnered with Enipret Free Library, where we have an annual celebration of my mother's life and work that's usually in February of the year. My mom passed away on February 13th. 2009. So we do it on or about then. Yeah. But we're also partnered with the graduate school at Howard University, where last year we hosted uh, three pop-up poetry workshops that were virtual. They were amazing. People logged on and stayed. I thought people would just sort of jump in and out. Nope, the people stayed. So we had <laughs> Frank X. Walker, Tony Medina, and Shauna Morgan. And it was just fab fabulous, fabulous gathering. We're partnered also with Gina Davis's C. Jane Foundation. And we're doing an annual a poetry reading. Let's see first annual was this year and we had celebrity poets reading my mother's work and we said so we celebrated some younger poets as well so we're going to be having a our planning meeting for the one for 2023 very shortly but there are lists of people i mean we're partnering with bus boys and poets gosh who else was city lit and i've having conversations with the baltimore department of parks and recreation to do some partnering with not only the city but with very specific recreation centers that are nearby at you're near the house. So Winter Hills Elementary and Middle School were also where my siblings and I went when we were kids. Mm -hmm. So it's all about the service. And we'll continue to have those conversations there. And I'm probably backed up with phone calls and emails to answer. But the response has been extraordinary. But I also wanted to make people aware, as I'd mentioned, that um, Group City Lit had their board meeting there. The house is available for those kinds of events. So if someone wants to talk about like the photo shoot we had that supported Black women radicals, or if there's you know a, a group of writers who want to have a lunch, we actually had pre-COVID a, a small gathering of children's book authors from the group called We Need Diverse Books to had a, a dinner and a reading at the house. So it's available for those kinds of events as well. They don't have to be necessarily Clifton House is, is throwing this thing. It's a, it's an event space for creatives also. Well, that's fantastic. I'll make sure to put all the links in the show notes just so that if anyone is interested, they know where to go to get in touch. Yes. Absolutely. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Links to amazing resources can be found in the episode's show notes. Special thanks to Sarah Gilberg for allowing me to use snippets of her song Fireflies from her debut album, Other People's Secrets, which, by the way, is available wherever music is sold. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the show. And now that Tangible Remnants is part of the Gable Media Network, you can listen and subscribe to all network partner content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Until next time, remember that historic preservation is a present conversation with our past about our future. We don't inherit the earth from our parents, but we borrow it from our children. So let's make sure we're telling our inclusive history. Saw the first fireflies of summer And right then I thought of you Oh, I could see us catching them And setting them free Honey, that's what you do
what you do to me. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.